welcome to the Investment Cuddle. I'm Gary and I'm here with Philip. And today on the podcast, we're going to talk about dividend investing. So Philip, what is a dividend? Well, a dividend is where the company decides to return money back to its shareholders and it actually pays it as an income. So it pays it as so many, a dividend is so many pence per share. So therefore, depending on how many shares you get, depends on how much money the company pays you. And they can do that either once a year, twice a year, quarterly, or they can do a special one or one they do regularly. But it's effectively money the company gives back to its shareholders directly. Okay. And is that the same as yield? Not quite. The yield is a relative term for how much the dividend's worth relative to the price you paid for it. So, for example, say you bought a company uh, shares for £1 and they pay 10 pence in dividend per year. So the yield would be that year, the year you bought it, 10 pence divided by £1, so it's 10%. Now, of course, dividends can go up, they can be dark, go down, or they can be one-offs. So you might, what you get the next year will be, could be different. So take the said company again, and after 10 years, the share price had grown to £3 from £1, and the dividend had grown from 10p to 30p. So if you bought it right at the beginning, it was 10 pence per share dividend divided by your pound, so 10%. But in 10 years' time, it's then going to give you 30 pence per share. Now, if you bought it back then at the beginning when it's one pound, it's 30 pence divided by one pound, 30%. But the guys who buy it that year, when the share is worth three pound, it's 30 pence divided by three pound, which is 10%. So this is often what you'll see is when you see your stockbroker talk about the share, the information about the share, what they'll have is they'll have a yield, a dividend yield. What they're doing there is taking today's price divided by what the company paid last year for its dividend as an assumption about what they're going to do this year. Because most companies try to maintain it, if not grow their dividend. So it all does, depends when you're talking about yield, when you bought the company and what price did you pay. Right. So is that total return you're talking about here no. as a dividend? No. No. Total return is something that's different. Total return is the capital growth plus the dividend income add together gives you there. So say take our company again. We've held it for 10 years and it pays 10 pence a share every year. It hasn't increased its dividend in this case, but its share price has gone from £1 to £3. So therefore, you can say your total return is, I've held it for 10 years, so it's 10 pence times 10 years, so that's a pound. So the capital has increased to £3, so that's three times, plus another pound. So the total return you would have got, no dividends reinvested in this particular case, is £4, so 400%. So it's just you added all the dividend income you would have got, plus the capital gains. I think it's worth clarifying that, just because... People use these phrases interchangeably. And as you said, dividend yield is a, is a point in time. And it's good to know what that is, you know, whether it's paying 10%, if only, or 2%. So these dividends, are companies paying these and funds paying these at different times? How do you, you know, is it just once a year? How do these get distributed? Lots of companies pay it in lots of different ways. Lots of companies have different financial years. And they tend to do it from financial year to financial year for their year. That doesn't necessarily match the tax year. So often what you'll find is smaller companies that don't have a huge, that are more growth orientated to grow their company tend to maybe spend, say, have a single dividend a year. 
maybe specials when things are done really, really well. Other more mature companies where their growth prospects are somewhat limited tend to do it quarterly. And there are a couple that do monthly, but mostly it's quarterly or twice a year. You can stagger it so you can almost get part of an income every month because there's a company every week who has a dividend. They don't all do it at one time in a year. If you were looking to get dividends for income, you could essentially split it up monthly, but it would be different companies or different funds paying you per month. You could, if you had a big enough fund and you could arrange it that you bought the right shares to get almost an income, somebody paying something every month is possible. Okay. So what do we mean by, as I've seen, annual and interim and final, which I think, as you said, is is twice yearly and quarterly. What What's the thing about a special dividend? Right. Most companies, their aim is to maintain a certain dividend or grow it over time. That's most companies' policy. But sometimes when you've either done really, really well that year or you've got rid of, you've sold off part of your company just another one, you might find you're awash with cash. And what often they say, instead of guaranteeing that they will treble next year, they pay a special dividend, which doesn't contribute to their normal dividend income, so you can get a big spike. So there are some companies this year, because of the pandemic recently, where they paid no dividend last year, they're paying a special dividend this year, while they may reinstate their old dividend. So effectively, you're getting two years dividend in some cases this year. But to make sure that people understand that the old dividend is what they're going to try and continue going forward, they've made the other half a special dividend going, this is special, may not be repeated in the future. Whereas the other one is they're trying to say, we're going to try and match that, if not grow that next year and the year after. Special is, special for this year may not be repeated. Okay. So, yeah, a a special does mean special. (laughs) In that sense. So when you look at dividends, and a lot of people talk about dividends as income, or they're looking for for income, so they use dividends as income. Is dividend investing just then income investing? Is it the same? Or is it not that simple? It depends what you're doing with the income. Some people who say income investing are using it to live off the income. You can still do income investing, but using the income to reinvest... um, to gain more income in the future. So what most people do in their pension, or if it's run by their company, would be to take the dividend, reinvest it, so you get a bigger dividend next year, and do the same thing the year after and the year after. What most people say when they're income investing is I'm investing the money and I'm taking all the dividends and I'm using that to live on normally. Okay. So I guess if you're reinvesting the dividend, then we're starting to talk about the compound... The, 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 the joys of compound investment or compound interest. Correct. Which we love. So what's so if we went dividend income, that's one way of doing it. As you said, you take the money, you spend that, you don't reinvest the dividend, or maybe if you are not spending all of it, you could in, reinvest a, a small proportion so you're keeping the portfolio up, but you're not burning the capital then, mm-hmm. or the original capital investment, let's say. So what about where you know people are, and I, I know we quite often mention Fundsmith in this case, but... If you take the Fundsmith Equity Fund, he's often talked about people in that fund, and and I think family members or family members of the people that are that are involved with it, selling units as as income. Yes. So that's not. I know they pay a very small dividend, let's say one percent or something, but that's a different style of income. Yes and no. Most people do it for tax purposes. 
income is taxed differently to capital gains. So many companies' funds, such as Fundsmith, offer an income unit and an accumulation unit. An income unit pays you the income and you can decide what you want to do with it. But because it's income, it is chargeable under as income tax. So if you've used your income tax allowance and your dividends allowance, it is taxable at whatever your marginal ta- income tax rate is. If you turn it to accumulation units, it makes that income capital, of which you have £10,000 a year capital gains allowance. So it's a way of turning something that's usually higher taxed with a lower allowance or allowance that most people use up quicker and utilising an allowance that most people don't have the ability to use. So it's not easy by saying I'm just selling units. Some people are doing it for tax purposes. But Terry Smith's fund does pay a dividend. It's not a very high one. It's only about a percent because his rationale is I buy companies that are growth, that are going to grow their business and in 10 years' time increase 50% or 100%. So naturally, they tend to grow their dividends as well. So double it in five, ten years' time. So it's not a clear cut to say what you're buying. Total returns-wise, yes, he's right. Add that, the growth plus the increase in dividend is worth a lot of money. But you need to sell the capital. But there are others where if you were to buy the shares he bought at not in his fund ten years ago, they could now, whereas, whereas before they were paying you 1%, they might be saying you in ten years' time 5%. So it's, a, it's not clear-cut for funds because they can only pay what they pay out this year. The percentages are slightly warped. If you're buying investment trust or individual shares and you hold them and the companies you're buying are trying to grow their company and grow their dividend, you might find your dividend yield is quite large compared to where it was 10 years ago. So picking up on that thread then about growth and value, I struggle a little bit with this because some of the things I've been looking at recently are saying, well, there's... Growth and value are not a great way of describing, you know, essentially two ways of investing. And actually, it's shades of grey. But it's a well-known approach, so we're going to stick with it here, I think, just to, for, the, for the benefit of, of simplicity, hopefully. So when you look at the dividend-paying stocks, are they simply just value stocks? Because you mentioned Fundsmith. You're saying, well, you know, we all often said that Terry's fund is not value investing and it's not really growth investing. He just buys good companies, which I think is one of his slogans. So let's park Fundsmith for a minute. Talking about their fund is slightly different. If you're just buying stocks for income, is that just value investing? Unfortunately not. It's not that simple. Traditionally, growth stocks were companies that basically used all the income they generated to reinvest in themselves grow their company with the aim of like doubling themselves and doubling their turnover and profits three to five to six years time that doesn't mean to say they don't pay a dividend some of them pay small amounts of dividends but they're still using most of their money to reinvest they might pay half a percent maybe a percent the difference is though they might be looking to double their dividend in five six years time along with their growth so you might find the percentage stays the same so it all does depend when you buy into them when you're looking at what was traditionally called value, these could be any companies where what people think the company's worth relative to the cash flow it generates and maybe the dividends it pays compared to what Mr. Market thinks it's worth showed a disparity. So you could say, like, historically, tobacco companies for quite a long time paid good dividends, had high amounts of dividend cover 
um, but the market wasn't tobacco is old news who cares about it they will be considered extreme value cases and they're going to going you could treat it like a bond once writes the capital off because the amount of in dividend you're going because in like 10 years time it pays for itself entirely in dividends so it's an extreme you can get value companies that don't pay a dividend so it's not clear cut one pays a dividend when doesn't although traditionally value companies tend to pay a lot of dividend relative to the growth but not always okay so we're saying basically dividend paying stocks can be both value and growth but you may end up finding that the value end pay higher dividends Yes, because that's often an indication of when they're paying higher dividends. Either the market thinks they're going to cut their dividend, or not stop it at all, or they're just seriously out of favour. An example in the not-too-distant past were mining companies. Until about two years ago, mining companies, you owned a mining company, you're an idiot. They didn't have any control over their cash flow. The managers were idiots, they kept overbuying. That was the perceived image of them from the boom that happened 10 years ago. So their stock price kept going, relatively kept going down and down and down. But their dividends, they controlled their uh, their cash flow. They controlled their investments instead of wasting it. They stopped buying themselves out, each other, are overpaying. And so therefore they generated lots of cash and they slowly started to increase their dividend. But the market didn't notice this for quite a few years. Until last year, when people started noticing they were paying 6 7%. And now it's gone back the other way. They don't pay anywhere near as much as that. Not because they're not paying as much dividend as before. They're still growing their dividend. The problem is now, now most people cottoned on and the share price has zoomed up. Right. So if we're then looking at... There's a potential, potential thought there that that's actually then growth. <laughs> Those miners are now growth stocks rather than value because they've switched. You could argue. I don't know. But have we got some examples of growth stocks that are maybe paying a dividend but are well and truly within that growth yes. area that we've already described probably the most famous ones you can think of at the moment would be Microsoft up until about 10-12 years ago it was a traditional growth company and its entire existence never paid a dividend late 2000s where it first turned around started paying a dividend now if you were to look at Microsoft dividend now it's about a percent under a percent however if you look at its share price it's almost parabolic straight up and that's often because every year they've upped their dividend payments and the share price has gone up by a similar percentage so it's always stayed about a percent there's several other companies you can think of doing this another one is a company involved with making all of the equipment that is used to make silicon chips called asml they're from holland they're similar that they're a growth company and the fact that they're looking to well they've cornered the market in the equipment used to make silicon chips um, and, but they also have a quite aggressive increase in their dividends. But every time the dividend goes up, the share price goes up by a similar amount. So over time, every year, they stay paid just under a percent. If you're looking at investment trusts, one of the famous ones that is pays a very low, relatively low dividend and grows, is mainly growth, is Finsbury Park, which is run by Lindsay Train. This is a predominantly UK fund looking at quality companies that pay with a value stint, looking at companies that are going to double their income, double their turnover in the next five to seven years. So every year, over the last 10 years, their dividend yield has been around about one and a half-ish percent. But when you look at the amount of dividend it paid 10 years ago, 
it's gone up four times. But because the share price has also gone up by about four times, the dividend yield has stayed about the same every year. So they're examples of, say, growthish companies. So it's difficult to understand because often those companies, the share price goes up as fast as their dividend. Yeah. So the fact that, some, you go back to Microsoft, the fact they're not growing the dividend in terms of what it looks like when you go back to your original percentage dividend return, it's simply the fact that the share price is just going with it. So in actual fact, that's a really positive thing from a growth fund point Whereas of view. Whereas an example would be if all of a sudden the market had a really, really big wobble on, say, tech and Microsoft's share price halved, then it might become a value company because if the underlying cash flow of the company and therefore its dividends stayed before, that would be a value opportunity. Because suddenly you've gone from a company where the dividend yield was about 1%, suddenly jumps, doubles, if not more. Yeah, but what, what chance of the Microsoft share price halving? I think I'd have some of that if it halved. Um, they said that in 1999. Two years later, it dropped by 80%. Yeah, but come on, Philip, this time it's different, right? Yes. <laughs> I quote Mark Twain, history never repeats itself, but it don't half rhyme. <laughs> All right, so what have we got in terms of examples of value stocks then, other than the uh, Microsoft share price halving, and I want some of that. What's the, yeah, what's, what's a value stock? So a value stock is a company where people think that it has more value than the market thinks its value is. That can often be because it's out of favour. If you were to look, say, four or five years ago, or three, four years ago, miners were in that category. Today, you could say tobacco companies, oil and gas companies spring immediately to mind because they're seriously out of favour. You couldn't get more un-ESG companies if you tried, yet they have quite strong cash flows and quite strong dividend cover and quite strong dividend growth prospects. You're looking at its returns is more dividend than capital growth. Whereas growth stocks tend to be way more capital growth than dividend growth if you looked at your total return. So we could look at someone, you mentioned tobacco, so we could look at something like British American Tobacco. I think they're paying 7%? Going by the stock roughly. market at the moment, it's approximately 7 to 7.5%. If you were to buy today and they pay the same amount of dividend they paid last year, it might give you slightly better than that because they have an aggressive policy of increasing their dividend every year. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing with them is as you said, it may not be everybody's cup of tea. Well, you, won't, you won't find British American Tobacco in, in too many ESG funds, I don't think. I don't think because of ESG, you'll find them in many funds at all. And this brings up the private investor opportunities because you don't have to follow the herd. Yeah. Whereas all the others have to look like they have some sort of ESG element. Yeah. And the quickest so, way of doing that is getting rid of any tobacco. So, yeah, they've said they would increase their dividend year on year and they've been doing it for the last 20 years and you also look at that and say with the cannabis market being the way it is i know perhaps not british american have announced interest there but certainly other tobacco companies are watching that development and you can imagine if that is legalized in various states let's say certainly u.s related they could have a lot of influence in that so-called growth area that is one of their few potential growth areas because they have all the distribution expertise and capital to make that work very quickly. Yeah. But you'll probably be shunned by all the millennials because it's not the sexy area. It's not sexy investment. And you- Similar could be said for oil and gas. 
we can't suddenly turn the oil and gas tap off tomorrow and all go electric because uh, there ain't enough lithium and other metals that we dug out of the ground to convert everything. We haven't got enough electricity supply that doesn't use oil and gas yet. So there is a transition period. They've stopped being quite so wasteful about buying each other and buying small companies at stupidly overpriced and they've got far better capital controls than they used to have. So they're generating quite large dividend and cash flows. But of course, they're horrible, dirty emitters, so you won't find them in an ESG fund. No, and I guess the example I was thinking of there is Royal Dutch Shell. I think if you look at their B version of their share, their dividend yield, let's say, is maybe four percent at Three the moment. percent. It's gone up. It's gone down recently because the share price has recovered a bit. Yeah, I mean they they were famous for having not cut their dividend in however many years, and then last year right, cut it's it. It's a war. Yeah. Only the Second World War got in the way. But again, that's an example of value stock where as there's less and less exploration, there might be pressure on the oil price. So therefore, they will potentially make more money and therefore distribute more dividends or the share price goes up. So again, value, as we said earlier, it's a debatable point. But it's another couple of examples there of how um, value stocks can pay a dividend. So I guess that we've talked about growth, we've talked about value. When you think about income investing, these dividends, we talked about Royal Dutch Shell cut, cutting their dividend for the first time since the war. How safe are these dividend payments? Technically, it's at the total discretion of the directors of the company. So therefore, what you get paid this year, there's no resemblance to what you get paid next year. However, many companies like Royal Dutch Shell in the past have prided themselves that they don't cut. Stock markets generally take a very dim view of companies who cut their dividend. Uh, generally because the people who tend to buy the companies who want it for income want some sort of stability. So they like the maintainability or the policy of trying to grow it each year. So there's other, should we say, metrics you need to look at a company to see how well it's doing. Because you can find a company, company boards will keep paying the dividend until they physically can't because they're scared of cutting it on their watch, as the case with Royal Dutch Shell. Yeah. So the sort of metrics you might want to look at is, one is called dividend cover. This is looking at the total cash the company generates, how much of it is paid in dividend and how much is it reinvested. So if you're looking, you have a dividend cover of one, it means all of your cash flow is used to pay dividend. No reinvestment. If you have a dividend cover of two, it means basically half of the entire cash flow is used to pay dividend. The other half is reinvested. Dividend of three means a third of the cash flow is the dividend. Two thirds of it is reinvested. So it gives you an idea of how much cash they've got spare. Generally, if you have a dividend cover over two, it's great. Recently in Britain, because we've had a strong dividend culture, they've been going backwards, going to like 1.5, 1.6. When you're going much below that, you need to be really careful that there is not much margin forever when things change. So the, the dividends can grow over time, but that doesn't make them any safer, and the dividends could be cut at any time. So what we're saying is that a bit like any bonus benefit you might have in your workplace it's all discretionary and therefore discretionary basically means it could go and this is an important thing when you consider against bonds the bond is an obligation they must pay or they default company 
we have the opportunity of capital growth and some income, whereas a bond, the capital growth is capped because you get your money back. What you're gambling on is the fact they don't go bust and they keep paying the dividend and they pay you back your money. So it's all downside risk, whereas a company, it's more of upside. You've got more risks because it could stop paying. Also means the other risk, hence the opportunity, that it could increase. So, yeah. So it's it would be good if you've got some other income, potentially. So is so when we talk about safety, is it any safer to go down the fund investing route? Now, well, it is, yes. But the type of fund is really important. This is where a big difference becomes between an investment trust compared to an ETF, a unit trust, or an OIC. Difference is closed-end funds under UK law for UK investment trusts they can withhold up to 15% of their income each year as a rainy day fund. And most funds do this to even out the dividends. That's why when you look at certain, they call them dividend heroes, for certain investment trusts that have never cut a dividend have, or and have actually main, increased the dividend or maintained it every year since the war. The Second World War is the last time they ever cut. It's companies such as... Uh, Foreign and Colonial Investment Trust, Murray Income Fund, City of London, Scottish Mortgage, for example, those. They've been paying dividends well over 45 years, almost 50 years, but they've not cut. And the reason they've done that is they don't give you everything that year. They hold up to 15% back and therefore they smooth it out. ETFs, unit trusts and OICs, on the other hand, have to give you all the income they generate back. So if their funds generate money this year, they have to give it all to you. If next year's half of them cut it, you get half your money. That's a big difference. Right, so just to clarify then, the unit trust or OICs, you're saying, are the ones that... No. Unit trusts, ETFs and OICs. Investment trusts are the specialty. Right, so yeah, but sorry, the, the OICs then, if they get less money, they pay less money out. If they get more money, they pay more money out. So yeah, so the, the safety element if you can call it that, is in the investment trust area. So, for example, last year where we had some rather interesting financial behaviour in the market, lots of companies, lots of individual companies cut their dividends. The OICs or the unit trusts would have had to do similar. Many of the investment trusts didn't. Now, when you look at their, should we say, dividend cover of many investment trusts, last year they went below one for the first time. That means... They're either selling shares and using their capital, they're still selling the shares to keep maintaining the dividend, or they're using their reserve cash from their rainy day fund. Not all of the investment trusts did that, because it's discretionary. You can keep up to 15%, and not all did that every year. But historically, you usually find that they'd have dividend cover of 1.1, some cases 2. There's a couple of funds I can think of that had quite high dividends cover. Right. So what we're saying is if you wanted to smooth out, we go back to the element of safety, if you wanted to smooth out your income and give yourself a little bit more protection in terms of managing the risk. And if you wanted to be a stock market investment in companies, investment trusts are something that's worth looking at. They offer advantages where you're still investing in the stock market, listed products, but they have a smoother income stream. Okay. And so therefore, when you've got, Let's say you are invested in investment trusts. When we talked about the unit trust accumulation income difference earlier on, 
I'm guessing when you get the dividend out for the investment trust, and if you are not spending that for income, you can just reinvest that through your platform provider. You have to do that yourself. That is where I, OIC and an investment trust is more advantageous because they have accumulation units. Whereas investment trust, no. You've got to do the reinvestment yourself. But some brokers will allow you to do that cheaply uh, without buying too many shares at once. Others, it's your standard broking fees. Sometimes it's, you have to wait a while before you reinvest to make it cost effective. Okay. So I think, yeah, in summary then there, we've just said that you could argue that fund investments, specifically investment trusts, could be a safer bet than individual companies in terms of maintaining the dividend. But again, it just there's risk in this anyway. So we're not saying it's, it, it's it's perfect, but it's perhaps better for the rainy day element. It also depends on what you're doing it for. If you really want the income because you're living off it, investment trusts might be better because they're more regularity. If you're doing dividends reinvestment because you're at the accumulation stages in your pension or your ISA and you're not actually using the income, it probably doesn't make that much difference on the income side whether you do it through an investment trust, a unit trust, an ETF or an OIC. It will smooth itself out relatively over time. There are other advantages that if you went, uh, of investment trust over the other two, um, which we went to back into in, in episode three, four... <laughs> that was episode five, three. Which, uh, if you go back to there... Um, which is not uh, opportunities which are not available to the others. But generally, accumulation units can be quite useful as long as you don't need the income immediately because they do even themselves over time. So, for example, within the unit trust, because quite a lot of companies will then pay double dividends the year after because they saved the cash because they didn't know what's happening during the pandemic and now realise I didn't need to save quite as much, but I didn't know that at the time. They're giving away a lot of special dividends this year. Mm. So you'll just get, the next year, you get a bumper bundle dividend. So it's delayed by year. Whereas the guys from the investment trust will use quite a lot of that to refill their rainy day fund. So in actual fact, it might just be that the sum of the income received over the last couple of years between shares and funds might be about the same. But you're reliant on the company going, yes, okay, we'll give you our additional cash as a special. Whereas the investment trusts have already paid and they'll pay you again this year. So, okay, so just thinking about things to look for here then. We've talked dividend cover a little bit. Typically, you know, we're saying about that, that's a a measure of health to some degree of how the fund is doing or the company's doing and how close to the bone they might be in terms of cutting that dividend if they haven't got the cover. Are there other things that we can look for? Whether it's whether it's good or bad in terms of things that we might need to look for. So another one is looking at what is their past dividend. Are they trying to grow it, just maintain it, or is it really random? It goes up and down like a yo-yo. And this is just looking at how many pence per share. Because uh, that can often be, if you look five, ten years, you can look at the dividend growth. Because you're buying for income, like I said with the example I gave at the minute. If you're getting a company that tries to grow its dividend like it's cash, with its cash flow... Um, its share price will go up, but what you bought 10 years ago could be paying quite a large dividend percentage now, dividend yield percentage now. So if you're trying to buy that before you come to retire, you're going, oh, the day I retire, it's only paying percent. You're going, yeah, but if I bought it 10 years ago, I'd pay me 6% now, relatively. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's another one to look at. The other one is the size of the dividends and where the dividends are coming from. If it's a, a fund, 
Are they all coming from mega caps or are they a bit more diverse? So I guess the the phrase there might be big is not always beautiful in terms of dividend payout because, yes, it's not as simple as, well, they're paying a big dividend. Is it at risk? So You've got to look at the other factors. But essentially, be wary of the mega, the mega dividend. Sometimes can be, yes, because it was a one-off special. Windfall dividends, we say. Yeah, and I suppose that's true for companies paying larger dividends as well, isn't it? From a point of view of can they maintain that? It's an awful lot of cash going out of the business. Yes. Um, and you so, do need to reinvest in your company. So a company that's paying all of its cash flow in dividend isn't going to be competitive for very long. You do need to reinvest in your company. Yeah. And as we said, you know, don't don't think of Microsoft as having a as not increasing their dividend because they're increasing their dividend. The share price goes up accordingly. But yeah, and also likewise, we're turning around and saying if a share price drops, it will increase that percentage dividend. So that might be a time to look at it and get in. It's a time to reinvest because it can be a warning sign. It can be good or bad. The market reckons the company is going to cut its dividend because it's got financial cash flow problems. Or it's just an unsexy industry. Yeah, and it's you know you you need to look at more than just the dividend percentage. But essentially, if it's dropping and it's not for the quality of the balance sheet, then it might be a nice time to it's invest good. in that. And it's and it's counterintuitive to be buying on the dip or buying on the downside. You want to be check. You, you know, people naturally want to be buying something that's going up. And we said this several times before. It really does take some work to be able to buy stuff on a down day and sell an up day <laughs> as way, obvious as that it's sounds it's easy to do the other way around and I've done that in the past buy high sell low <laughs> alright well it leaves me to say thank you to Philip and we'll see you next time This programme has been presented for information and educational purposes only. None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the programme's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities, nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.